So, I don't totally get the Lego movie craze that has been all the rage the past few years. I mean, why is Lego Star Wars or Lego Batman a thing, instead of just normal animation if you're going to do a kid's version of a popular movie? The only thing I can figure out is that human beings at our very core were just meant to play with things. I guess the desire to engage with an infinite variety of creative toys is just part of being in God's image and it's hardwired into us. Whether that explains the Lego movies or not, it definitely explains why a lot of people in the therapeutic world have seized on play, and in fact a lot of other hands-on activities, as therapies. So please join Julie Lowe and me as we talk about her work in thinking and rethinking play therapy. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Hi, welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alistair Groves, and today I have the privilege of talking again with Julie Lowe, my colleague at CCEF and fellow faculty member. Julie, how are you? Good. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I want to talk about counseling children and some of the specific things you've thought about that. But before we do, I just feel it's absolutely vital that people get as best, uh, as good of an impression as possible of where you're actually sitting. So I don't know if you're actually in your office right now. I'm not, I'm not going to ask. But, I am. <laughs> um, good. Okay. That makes me happy. So we're, we're doing this by phone uh, as we talk today, but I would love for you to take just a minute or two and walk people around your office. What does it look like when someone comes to, to see you at CCEF? Sure. So it is a very, um, colorful office. It is an office that has um, teenage-friendly couches and chairs and uh, um, bright-colored walls. There are shelves full of miniatures. There is a... I'm sorry, I have to jump in. When you say full, you mean full, because I've been in there. Yeah. <laughs> full would be the right word. They are packed with miniatures from um, people and different ethnicities to superheroes to animals to mythical creatures to trucks to all, all kinds of miniatures. Um, and with that is a, a sand tray that... Um, is on wheels that can be wheeled from room to room or move around the office. Um, hmm. There are puppets. There are um, there are shelves with books and pull-out trays that have all kinds of art supplies and writing utensils and uh, um, kind of card games that, that talk about get to knowing you to uh, stress and anxiety. Um, there are games that are therapeutic in nature, kind of like Jenga type games where you can pull out pieces that uh -huh. ask meaningful questions on them uh, and posters and artwork on the walls and plants. And um, as we're speaking now, there is a therapy dog laying on the couch uh, taking a nap. <laughs> Hi, Spud. <laughs> Spud the therapy dog. Um, 
yeah, colorful, uh, as you can imagine, just a very colorful kind of engaging room that surprises kids and teens when they're coming into counseling. I think probably much of the time, if they haven't been to a counselor before, they're envisioning coming into a, a dentist office, and it probably has the <laughs> same kind of enjoyment attached to it as well. Right. So it's, it's kind of fun right. to have them walk in and be pleasantly surprised. Hmm. Yeah, well, that was my experience walking into that office was like, wow, uh, am I allowed to stay here and, and play? Do I have to pay attention to the counseling group meeting we're having? Um, that's really cool. Thank you, Julie, for, for walking us around a little bit. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you for the whole history of how you got interested in play therapy, but will you just say a little bit about play therapy? I mean, your office uh, shouts at loud volume that you are really interested in using things to engage with kids. Say a little bit about play therapy and how you think about that and how you've studied and engaged that. Sure. So there, there's lots of ways uh, people try to define play therapy. And um, I guess I think of like this umbrella approach. Some people use the word play therapy. I like to use the word expressive therapies. And under that umbrella uh -huh. is play therapy. There's drama therapy, music therapy, animal-assisted therapy, uh, horticultural therapy, any kind of ther therapeutic model you can think of that is expressive in nature. It's projective. Um, and it, it seeks to meet people on their level. Um, and that's, that's what really what drew me into the field, where I, I looked around the biblical counseling movement and began thinking who, you know, there's a need in, in engaging children and teens and young people and families as well um, in counseling and helping them think through the struggles of life. Um, and I began looking around saying, well, who is doing this really well? And how do you meet people on their level? Mm -hmm. And so one of the places that led me to was the play therapy field. And then, of course, the, the wisdom issue of figuring out, well, what, what can I agree with and, and what might I not agree with? Um, because with almost any kind of therapeutic model, there are presuppositions um, that we may or may not agree with. And, and where have you gone with that? How, wh how has your thinking developed since sort of exploring the field? Yeah, well, what's really fascinating to me is I began to look at a lot of things that the uh, professional world was calling therapeutic models and began to realize, you know what, this is really creational in nature. Um, so things like animal-assisted therapy, the use of animals or therapy dogs, uh, there's something called horticultural therapy where there's the engagement of gardening or plant-based activities that are known to be therapeutic and model. Yeah, I give my, my kids thera horticultural therapy uh, every Saturday during the summer and the spring. Is that, is that what I'm doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you make them do yard work, you can just call it horticultural That's therapy. That's, I'm going to start calling it horticultural therapy. Julie said I could. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, things like um, bibliotherapy, the use of books and the written story, huh. um, music, art, drama, centray, um, just the expressive projectiveness of miniatures. But I, I began looking at some of this stuff going, isn't this interesting? A lot of this is creational in nature. We're taking creation and we are um, we're using it because we believe it has a therapeutic um, quality to it. Um, or the way you and I would talk about it uh, is something you said earlier. It's a redemptive quality. And hmm. why is it that every that the, the secular world, the clinical world, is claiming these things as a specialty 
and um, a, a therapeutic model when I would argue, you know what, this is really creational therapy. This is creation, hmm. creation being used to, to heal and to um, encourage and to help walk through hard things with people. Well, as Christians, we can completely buy into that. Um, our motivations and presuppositions are going to be radically different. Uh, the way we use it may or may not be similar. Um, and certainly the implications are, are biblical, that they're vertical in orientation. Um, so we're taking the, the creation and we're using it hopefully to point to the creator, but si simply the fact we're using it can reflect um, back to the creator as well. Hmm. Julie, let me let me ask a pair of questions. Um, I so you said a moment or two ago that you prefer the term actually expressive therapy to to play therapy. Um, I think I'm getting a sense of why you say that. But will you take thirty seconds and just make that explicit? Why? What do you like about the term expressive therapy? And then I want to follow up with a question about how how the creational then further expands that idea. I think. I think I like expressive therapies because it, it tends to speak to what you're attempting to do um, with with the model or with whatever you're using in front of you. Or ther play therapy, excuse me, it gives people this idea that you're just sitting around playing with kids. Um, expressive therapies, I guess, is a little closer. It's broader. Um, but it also talks about what I'm hoping to accomplish, that I'm hoping to give uh in this case, children and teens, but I think it crosses over into, into many populations, we're giving them an avenue in which they can express themselves better. We're, we're, we're uh, walking into their world. We're speaking on their level. We're giving them tools and resources that they can share their inner world more effectively. And I think what the expressive therapies and the play therapy world does is they speak well to populations of people that don't do well just simply talking, um, or what we call traditionally talk therapy. Um, so take, for example, those who uh, maybe have um, special needs or are mentally handicapped. Uh, you see even in hospice and end-of-life issues and those mm. str struggling with dementia. Um, you see all those uh, groups of people can really benefit well from expressive therapies and working with their hands and finding ways of communicating uh, that really help them and give voice to what they're, they're feeling inside. Hmm. So, so the expressive at the end of the day, expressive means I am helping this person express themselves. And that becomes especially logical to do with very hands-on kinds of things when you have someone for whom sitting and talking for 50 minutes uh, is not going to be the easiest thing in the world. And, and the more you think about it, the more you realize that we might not even want to limit it to that. Um, but but the idea is I'm helping people express themselves. But but you, you're going beyond that. When you use the term creational, you're saying it's not just I want to help someone express themselves. You're actually saying there's something about contact with the created world, with God's created world, with appointing to the creator. Will you say more about that? I'm, I'm intrigued by that, by that move you're making. Yeah, I think within biblical counseling, when you have the freedom to do this in counseling, what, what we can do that a lot of secular therapies can't do is um, 
these expressive therapies, or if we call them creational therapies, aren't just simply about connecting to creation. That's, that's not the end goal, where it is um, in a lot of secular settings that the created thing in itself is the healing, the therapeutic powers, where what we're saying is we're moving a person towards the creator. Um, the created thing is always meant to point to the creator, and there's something beautiful about it. Just like you can imagine somebody sitting in front of the ocean with their feet in the sand, and there's something about the vastness of the ocean and what's before you that, that begins to give perspective. Well, what is that? Is that common grace? Is that simply the bigness of the world in proportion to who we are? Uh, and so it's taking creation and it's using it in a way that we say we want to woo people to the creator. And isn't that what the creation does? Hmm. Hmm. So um, thinking out loud here for a moment, as you look at this, you're saying, OK, I I want to. There, there is something about the vastness of the ocean that that it just has an impact on people. It. Your toes in the sand, looking at this enormous thing that's just way, way, way bigger than you are, and you cannot help but but feel that. Um, you're saying, A, that just has a, a visceral power to it, which is a good thing. B, I think you're saying anyone is going to feel that, whether they believe in God or whether they're a hardened atheist or anywhere in between. You know, like this, um, that's an experience anyone's going to have. But you're you're saying by by calling it creational, I don't simply mean yes, it's good to get in touch with nature. I mean there's a way in which God has written himself into whatever it is that I'm, I'm coming into contact with. Yes. And so it's actually then this open door of conversation between him and this child, between him and this teenager, not just them uh, imprinting their, their current mental state or thoughts or emotions onto uh, a sort of a blank canvas that that, that God has given. Is that, am I in, in the ballpark? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's well said. Okay. So, so then let's go specific. Um, talk to me about spud or, or talk to me about a sand tray. What, what would you hope for? What have you seen in the past couple of weeks? Like what, what would it look like for this to go well in your mind? Yeah. So I have a, a therapy dog, spud. Um, he came with a name. I didn't give him that name. Uh, he, <laughs> He, it's amazing when people enter the room, and we tend to think this is children, but it's adults and children alike, where they naturally become calmer, or they're put at ease, or their resistance is lowered, their anxiety is lowered. There's something very soothing about petting an animal and even being able to talk to the animal or project feelings onto the animal that make it feel safer. So people... People don't know if they trust people. People have been hurt. Um, they don't know if I'm trustworthy, yet they can look at a dog and feel connected and more comfortable and safe and willing to be more open and vulnerable because there is an animal there that they instinctively trust or feel a bond with. Um, and again, is there something... Can Julie, can I, can I just jump in real quick here? Take me even one step more more basic here. So, so somebody walks into the room for a first time meeting with you. Is Spud already there? Do they know that there's going to be a dog there when they walk in? Do they sit down on the couch next to Spud because you've put something on all the other chairs to make them do that? Does he come over and lick their hands? Like what? 
What does that look like? No, I would always ask if they are uh, wanting or okay with a, a therapy dog in the room. Some people are afraid of animals, and it would have the exact opposite of impact. Um, right. That's part of what I'm thinking. Right. We don't okay. want to traumatize anybody. Um, so they're always given the option first, and um, uh-huh. so they know they know that a, a therapy dog is in the room. I'll often say, "Here's how you can approach him, um, and here are things that he likes or doesn't like." And especially for younger children, that's more important that that mm. you help them know how to treat a, a animal in the room. Um, and be prepared. Sometimes he's just present and they're just petting him. And sometimes we're actually interacting with him and doing, hmm. um, doing skills or projective things with him. Sometimes a child will feel more comfortable talking to Spud or answering a question to, to the therapy dog than they might be to me. So there are, hmm. there are actually really creative ways to engage the animal in counseling that help a child open up and talk. And then there are ways where it's just the animal being present that can be a calming effect. Hmm. I I have to just real quickly share this one thing that a a pastor of mine once said. He said, you know, once your kids get past a certain age, probably about three years old, you have to get a dog because you've spent the first two years of their life talking for them and sort of using them as a way to talk to each other as a couple. (laughs) Um, And then once they get old enough to speak for themselves and, and they won't let you do that anymore, you have to get a dog so that you can speak for the dog to each other. So I know what you're talking about in terms of projective and answering questions to the dog is easier than like, gotcha. So, so keep, so keep going. Um, what, what would that, when you think about, um, someone turning, let's stay with, stay with Spud and therapy dog here for a moment. You're saying I want them to interact, engage, or just sit and pet. There's, there's sort of these variety of, there's probably a whole spectrum of levels of how much we're engaging Spud in the moment, um, but thus far, it, if I'm if I'm hearing you rightly, we're still mostly in the sort of expressive slash appreciating the calmness um, kind of end of end of the the equation. Do you think uh, specifically about okay? I'm I'm hoping now to turn this particular interaction in a way that directly pushes more vertically toward the creator or is it more I just sort of want that to be something that's sort of into the warp and woof of the way we always do this like how does that piece enter in I I would say that uh, a lot of it starts out as how do I draw an individual out make them comfortable and draw out their inner world so how can I use something like a therapy dog sand tray an expressive activity to get a glimpse of their inner world and how they see how they see life, what their interpretations are of their experiences. But the real skill then is being able to take something like a therapy dog or sand tray or a resource, a tool, and be able to speak back into their world, which we believe uh, in a biblical model that says we need wisdom outside ourselves. So A lot of expressive therapies draw um, young people or individuals out, but I also believe we can be really thoughtful and wise in how we use them to speak back into the world. So, again, if we stick to a therapy dog for a moment, sometimes it's, it's talking about anxiety. And if you project anxiety onto the dog and say, well, how do you think Spud feels when he is anxious? And what would you tell Spud? And what would be true? 
And if Spud's afraid of walking through this room, but there's really, you and I know there's nothing to be afraid of, how would we help him get through the room? And so you're taking Hmm. now what their experience is and we're projecting it onto Spud and you're helping them walk through how they would encourage, how they would think about it, what's true about the situation and how does God speak to that? And how does God bring comfort in that moment? So in some ways, it's still projective in nature, but it's moving from drawing out their inner world to now speaking back into it. Hmm. Do you ever have people, um, I, I don't know what the right word would be, enact or put into practice or something like that, but do you, do you have people do things with Spud? Actually, like, I want you to say to Spud um, what, what it is that we know God says to us or something like that. Yes, yeah. And what's going to help him or you believe that? And hmm. it can be, um, you know, obviously he's a dog. He, he doesn't think like you and I. So what would you and I do? If we're feeling that in that situation. So there's a proper place hmm. to the tr- turn it back towards the individual and say, how can you and I receive the comfort from God? Or what are steps you can, what are practical steps you can take? Um, so obviously we're talking kind of in theory without a specific example, but there, there's all kinds of wise ways that even in scripture and in, in storytelling and parables that you see, uh, you can speak truth in ways people hear it differently. Um, hmm. and it, it has implications for how they live life. Sure. Consider the lilies, look at the sparrows. Right. Um, right. and so on. Yeah. Well, Julie, I think um, I think probably the the question that's most on my mind then would be wanting to help people approach this well, because I mean, there's uh, you just keep opening up more and more categories of music and biblio and whatever. There, there's a million different aspects. I mean, once you once you're when you're um, when your effort to engage someone can be as broad as anything in creation. There's there's an infinite variety of ways then to to harness what God has given us to, to help people uh, approach them in a variety of angles. Will you give us, in, in an effort to help us think, will you give just one example of a, a specific situation where you feel like, you know, this went really well, or I felt like I saw someone um, go through this process and engage well with the Lord as a result, or this really helped, or here's how a behavior or a pattern in their life changed or anything just along those lines. Give, give us something concrete that we can kind of orient around here as we, as we draw toward a close. I, I think of the use of sand tray, which we haven't talked about yet. And here is um, just a, a simple concept of uh, a tray of sand and the use of miniatures that help portray a child's world. It's either a static, it's like a snapshot of their world, or it can be hmm. Uh, dynamic. It's moving and evolving and telling a story. And the interesting about that is there are a lot of therapeutic um, models behind it, presuppositions that can be very child-centered, um, non-intervening, non-directive, um, even kind of new age-ish. Or uh-huh. you can take it and you can use it to um, reinterpret reality and encourage and speak into and address Um, struggles in the person's life, child, teen, or adult. And people have very strong opinions on on that model and how to use it. But 
And Santre, a wisdom approach, says that I want to be both relational and respectful. I want to draw out the inner world and listen well and reflect well. Then I also do want to help reinterpret. So you take a child who's been through a traumatic experience um, of a loss or a car accident or a, a fire, things like that, and they're retelling their story through uh, the Santre. Uh, a wisdom, a, a wise way of approaching that is by offering resources into their story and speaking into hmm. it. Um, sometimes, depending on uh, how it's unfolding, sometimes I'll say things like, if, uh, if there was a miniature representing God, what would it be? And it's really fascinating hmm. to watch how people represent God and what kind of miniature they might pick. Anywhere from Aslan the lion to a, a tree to an ambulance to a superhero. Hmm. And what I'm, hmm. I'm beginning to get a picture of is how do they understand God in their world? And does God have anything to say about their experience they're going through? Or who are other people we can add to the sand tray that could help you in your struggle? And so what we're doing is we're speaking hmm. into their world in, in a very projective, expressive therapy kind of way. But we're bringing wisdom and truth into their world in ways that that help them understand it and uh, and is meaningful. Hmm. Um, would Would you even go so far as to say, you know, well, let me? It's interesting that you've picked, you know, the ambulance to be uh, what God would be if He were entering the sanctuary. You know, like, but but what if what if it was this superhero over here? What if? You know, what would it mean if if that was what the image of God was? Would you go in that sort of direction ever? Yeah, you definitely can. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll let them do a sand tray of their family and how they see themselves. And they'll often ask to pick multiple objects because... Uh, they're able to understand that there is multiple ways of seeing themselves, and sometimes they'll do that with God. And we'll talk about the different characteristics and the way they view God. And what that does is that opens the door for me then to help inform and reinterpret and retell their story in ways that are redemptive. Um, so uh, Paul Tripp used to say this a lot, children are interpreters, they're worshipers, they're revelation receivers. And our job is to help speak into their world in ways that point them back to the Lord or help make sense out of their experiences. And we want to do it wisely and skillfully. That's, that's what a lot of these fields are doing really well. They're bringing a skill. And so I don't want to minimize that when I talk about this is really just creation. Um, there is a skill that's brought to it as well that's very helpful. This is fascinating, Julie, and it's making me want to come to your office. So the next time I'm I'm down there, I'm, I'm going to come sit in your office and play with some of your miniatures. <laughs> uh, this is just really, really cool. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, I appreciate you having the conversation. You're welcome. My pleasure. If this podcast made you want more materials on creative ways to engage children, you should check out Julie's blog on role-playing as a creative parenting tool. As always, we will have it posted on our website by the download link for this episode. It's at ccef.org slash podcast. And if you have thoughts or questions or suggestions from this episode, please don't hesitate to get in touch at podcast at ccef.org. Thanks for listening. Till next time, blessings. Blessings.